0: Hi everyone! Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host Bill DeFilippo. Nick Polak cannot be here tonight, so we went out and we got the first person we could find, and that was Matt DeBear. Matt, how you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Bill. How are you this wonderful Wednesday evening?
0: Uh, I'm just a cauldron of rage because U.S. Soccer plays in a match in a few. Uh, we're doing this at 8:50 p.m. on a Wednesday night. The USA kicks off at 9:30 meaning that I'm in the hour before U.S. soccer plays, and I am—I just want to break something. But before we get to that, we're going to do a our next Penn State preview podcast. Uh, first we did Akron and Pitt. Then last week we did Georgia State and Iowa. This week we're going to get to um, maybe the silliest two-game stretch that Penn State has just in terms of the potential for it to be completely bonkers. Uh, in a little bit we're going to talk to Ben Gorin our friend from the site Mid-Major Madness, about Northwestern football. But for now, we're talking about Chaos Team. Because on September 30th, Penn State plays Indiana in a game that always promises to just be completely ludicrous. And because, you know, we had to go out and get someone extra fun to talk about Indiana, we went to uh, not our sister site, more like our... Uh, More like our like, drunken in-law site that we always yell at, but we have a good time when we do it because they make us better people when we do that. Crimson Quarry got Mr. Kyle Swick. Kyle, what's going on?
2: Hey, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having us on. I enjoyed the, uh, the drunken in-law comparison, and I think that's a good way to describe our relationship.
0: <laughs> it's something like that. And speaking of things that uh, just get extremely drunk, Indiana football is, um, I mean, they they were chaos team for the longest time, and then maybe they still will be. Maybe their offense won't be good this year, but their defense will. Nobody quite knows what to expect out of Indiana football. And fortunately, we have Kyle here to tell us why. Kyle, please.
2: Well, see, that's funny because I, I can't tell you what's going to happen either because I think we're all just uh, – varying degrees of like curious and but like terrified as far as what indiana football is going to become in the brave new world of tom allen uh i would expect we've already because we've already seen one game he coached the foster farms bowl um but i didn't i didn't really expect nor did we see a lot of variance from what uh kevin wilson was doing in the 12 games leading up to that bowl game and obviously uh we've changed offensive coordinator since we've really overhauled pretty much the entire staff um, since that game along with there'll be some personnel changes as well. So as far as uh, the chaos team, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can be uh, expecting your, this isn't your grandpa's Indiana. Who's actually that doesn't make any sense because my grandpa's Indiana who's football team probably went to the Rose bowl. So this isn't your slightly older brother, <laughs> Indiana who's football team. And uh, that scores a bunch of points and uh, loses in heartbreaking fashion. What it will probably end up being is a team that gets in a lot of low-scoring slugfest that then it finds ways to lose in heartbreaking fashion.
0: So since you mentioned the Fo- Foster Farms Bowl, I need to mention one of my favorite moments of the 2016-2017 uh, football season. Uh, Indiana needed a Hail Mary to win that game. So oh, no. what <laughs> up, so what ended up happening was old Richard Laygo, uh, the quarterback who wears number 21 and has a special place in my heart for that. Needed to throw the ball like 60 yards. He after the they break the huddle and they step up to the line and they're about to do it, he like points up to the Lord or something. I don't remember exactly what he did, but it was something <laughs> like that. And then someone false started or something, so they move back fi- or there was like a delay of game then they move back 5 yards or whatever happens and then he gets sacked. He didn't even point to the ward again before that second throw. It was awesome. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> so that was a great. That was a great night because uh, you had a you had a double dose of Indiana sports because uh, the basketball team played and lost to Nebraska at home uh, before kickoff of the Foster Farms Bowl. Oh, was, was that when we so, thought
0: Nebraska was like actually probably good last year?
2: Yeah, cuz I think they won like their first three games out of the gate or something like that, and they beat IU and Maryland, I think, in that stretch. And so it was like, oh, Tim Miles working his magic. It ends up – that actually mostly IU was horrible, and then Maryland was Maryland. So – but if you went to the basketball game in Bloomington, they allowed you to stay afterwards to watch the game on the big screen, oh, no. the football game. And so – you know. I remember my father-in-law was there and said, like, less than 3,000 people stuck around after that basketball game to watch, the because everyone was just furious, and uh, having witnessed another Tom Crean special. And then that football game happens, and by the end of that, you know, I can't imagine the the amount of people that stuck around to uh, to the bitter end of that. But then watching Richard Legow get sacked on on 4th and nine when they, they had to throw the ball down the field to have a prayer was – it just had – I can't imagine the feeling that that had to concoct in somebody that probably spent a couple hundred dollars on tickets and food and all that uh, to go watch a basketball and football game. And they well, we'll definitely win at least one of these because we're playing Nebraska. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then that happened.
0: So, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I'm, great. I'm a little bit upset that it took us five minutes. to get a Tom Green references, in, but I'm, I'm glad <laughs> it eventually happened. Uh, so there's no, no one's going to suffer
2: more from Tom Green's firing than our blog. <laughs> <Let's> get- <laughs> oh yeah. That was
0: like, uh, like back during, uh, mine and Matt's black shoe diaries days. Whenever we would like, whenever we would crank out that fire, John Donovan content, ooh boy, that stuff that was like, yeah. explo- so we we know exactly what you're talking about
2: exactly, yeah,
0: uh, it was uh, united almost allowed a lot of gold damn uh, so let's talk for a second about what we need to know about this team all that i pretend that all I know is that Richard Weigau wears number twenty one and he is <laughs> backed up by Xander Diamond are either of those things false
2: uh yes, so. Uh, still wears 21. However, which, which is funny because I I remember saying at the beginning of the season, uh, that if you're going to wear number 21, you gotta, like, you gotta be good because that's all most people are going to talk about. They're going to see a quarterback wearing number 21. Like, Oh, why did you do that? What's his deal? And then they're going to put him under the microscope. And then he threw like 19 picks or something like that. And, uh, in a, like, most boneheaded of fashions. Like I would say of those 19 picks, like at least 15 of them were just thrown directly to, uh, an opposing player yeah. that everyone else could see as he was letting the ball go, except for him. So Xander Diamond, on the other hand, is no longer backing him up because he, uh, actually retired from football <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, pursue. Who is he working with? Who's he making a bunch of videos? Oh, for barstool sports, he's making videos oh,
0: for them. Man, I was, yeah, I was preparing for you to say like Adam Sandler or something. That's just worse. Well, that's, that's sure like, like the
1: like... most predictable Xander DMI Diamond-
0: <laughs>
2: Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and like, to a
1: football
0: cure ever. It it's definitely like brand
2: synergy, um, but I think you know, I think he's got his eyes set on like sort of bigger things once he graduates Cause he hasn't graduated yet, Yeah, but he just, you know, like he literally quit football because he was like, I'm not going pro. I don't want my brain to be soup. I can still walk. I'm going to do that. And just, you know, cause like, as far as I know, he'll be on campus next year, unless he graduated like early. But, uh, I mean, he had another year of eligibility left. He's just not going to use it. So, um, so he's out. And, uh, as is, the wonderful adventures of him running the option offense that uh, actually worked quite a bit um, and there were certainly calls for him to take over full time as uh Lego's picks piled up last season but uh Wilson stuck to his guns and he really should have um because I think Diamont behaved best as a changeup
0: and not yeah. a fastball so. Yeah. So beyond the hilarious quarterback situation, what do we need to know about Indiana football this year? You got to be you got to be ready to uh, to
2: have to like crack a talented defense, and I think you guys saw a little bit of that uh, last year, and I think it's only going to get better uh, the longer Tom Allen is there and in charge and going to get more of his guys. Um, they've had some departures on the defensive side of the ball, but Gray Scales is back this year. Uh, his... His linebacker buddy Marcus Oliver is not, and uh, we have a couple of really talented freshman defensive backs that logged a lot of snaps last year, in uh, A. Sean Riggins and Marcelino Ball, who uh, are probably who probably have uh, the best ball instincts of anyone that I've seen come through IU since I started watching. In their freshman, um, Ball in particular was like 17 last year because of. Uh, however his graduation and just educational journey took. And as a 17-year-old, he was probably the best defensive back Indiana had. Uh, Rashad Fant is back, uh, senior cornerback. So uh, they certainly have some departures, but they've got a lot of guys coming back. And then again, a coach and a scheme that uh, took, a, took a defense that was ranked uh, near the bottom of Division One football in efficiency and turned them into a borderline top 30 unit Basically overnight, and so it kind of gives you the it kind of gives you the impression that Tom Mounds, one of those guys where it doesn't really matter who's out there. Like he's going to be able to coach him up, and because he took a lot of guys, he you know there was no real uh, outside of the couple of freshmen that I mentioned, no real revelation that came through. Like IU didn't get a bunch of like great like defensive transfers or five star recruits that came to the program. That never happens, obviously. Uh, he used the same guys that had been horrible for a couple of years and then made them great. So uh, as far as what you can expect offensively, uh, it kind of depends on who you ask and how, uh, and when they were exposed to Mike DeBorn, uh, <laughs> who's <now the> offensive. <laughs> because if you talk to, uh, if you talk to Tennessee fans, um, you know, they're going to tell you about, you know, that, yeah, there was some inconsistency, but, uh, the last six or seven weeks of you know Tennessee of the volunteer season, like that was one of the best offenses in the country. Um, obviously, Josh Dobbs is a little bit different than Richard Legault, uh, <laughs> and they're, And overall, the offensive talent that Tennessee has is going to be a little bit better than IU at least. Uh, now you talk to Michigan fans about Mike DeBoard, and they're just going to start laughing at you. And uh, but I think DeBoard's kind of. Uh, I don't know if I want to necessarily use the term "evolved" for a guy as old as he is, but he's at least shown a willingness to kind of alter his game plans to his personnel or to, you know, or kind of to the system that's going to suit the game and the team that he's in. Uh, of course, when you're at Michigan in, you know, the late '90s, early 2000s, whenever was he was there, you're going to run the ball a lot because it was the Big Ten in the late nineties, early two thousands. And that's what everyone did except for Joe Tiller, basically. And now we're in a, you know, a brave new world of college football where everyone's basically running some variation of the spread, uh, and gone are the days of, you know, i you know, the eye formation and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm kind of speaking in very like vague generalities because it's hard to get a beat on what this team is going to look like next year. Because we haven't seen, you know, we haven't seen anything that they've done. We've seen a spring game that didn't tell us a whole lot, except that we've got a couple young quarterbacks on the depth chart that uh, look good enough to challenge Legow if he doesn't take a step forward this year with uh, uh, Peyton Ramsey, his second year in the program, adds a little bit of uh, sort of a run uh, run dimension that uh, Legow can't really provide, uh, and then uh, Nick Tronti who won. Uh, Mr. Football for Florida, which is, in my opinion, a pretty good state to be winning Mr. Football in, uh, has also, you know, been floated as a name that's in the mix, but I would kind of be surprised if he actually plays this year, absent uh, a couple of entries in front of him, he seems more like a candidate for a red shirt.
0: Interesting. All right, so first, uh, since you mentioned uh, Tigray scales, did you see what our, <coughs> excuse me, what our friends over at 11 Warriors did today? <laughs> Oh
2: T Gray That was so bad.
0: That Listen was, I, I, I'm not gonna say anything because I know that if T Gray Scales hears this, he would eat me. Like he oh, just, no. he would ruin me. Uh but yeah, he uh he he the fact that his was right next to Richard Fant, who decided to just go totally two dimensional with his was oh, yeah. hilarious. Uh but yeah, well, I'll make a note to link this in the post because it was very good, and far more importantly, I went to our friends over at MGO Wars and I typed in Deboard, and I'm currently reading through their thread about uh, Indiana hiring him, and it's not as funny as I thought it was going to be, which has me um has me kind of upset. One person just said like a bad penny, and that's kind of it. So
2: yeah, yeah, it's uh. It's funny because, like, you know, over half of our staff is is basically convinced that um, we're going to run the ball 100 times a game and go, like, 2-10. and 10 Because, like, Mike DeBoard – like, the day Mike DeBoard was fired was probably one of the most embarrassing days in the Crimson Quarry Slack that I've ever, like, witnessed. <laughs> because I didn't – like, honestly, I didn't know who Mike DeBoard was. I don't watch, you know, the Tennessee Volunteers very much. Um, and I certainly wasn't watching Michigan in, like, 2002. Uh, so – you know, I, I was kind of so. What I did was, I just went and did this crazy thing where I just kind of looked at what Tennessee's offense did last year, and I was like, um, "This looks fine." Like this, <laughs> like I looked at this. I looked at the stats. I watched the tape. Like it, like you know, it looked like a it looked like a spread option offense uh, that wasn't all that different from what Kevin Wilson was running at IU. Like, yeah, but our athletes aren't as good as Tennessee's. Okay, that's always the case. Like it's. I don't know what, you know, what kind of offensive coordinator hire we were expecting to have uh, at Indiana University. Um, You know, the board's got connections in Indiana, and I think that's kind of what Tom Allen is banking on, are those connections with high school kids. So maybe instead of losing, uh, you know, the three-star, the sort of of middle-of-the-road talent that comes out of the state to the likes of Iowa and Wisconsin and Michigan State and Northwestern and all that, Illinois— You know, maybe we start retaining some of that and getting those guys to stay home. Uh, Not that retaining your Indiana talent is as big of a deal in football as it is in basketball. But it's probably a lot easier to sell a local kid on coming to play for IU than it is trying to sell someone who's not from here because it's Indiana. Like, and in basketball, that means a good thing. And in football, it's not. For sure. It's like, for basketball, it's like, it's Indiana. And then football is like, it's Indiana. So, so it's the
0: same thing, just the different inflection on the two. Exactly, words. exactly. Yeah. it's just a different tone, and then it just speaks it speaks volumes. So talking about this game, uh, it, it's so hard to sit, like give a good answer on this because we don't know what Indiana is, uh, more or less. But what does Indiana need to do uh, to come into Happy Valley on September 30th and beat Penn State?
2: They're gonna have to like they're gonna have to be ready to score. Because Penn State's offense is too good or is projecting to be too good to the point where i you can't just hope to um you know hold them down forever and win you know and win on field goals, which I think is going to be a recipe that they're going to be relying on a lot against you know more beatable teams, but when it comes to these top ten guy you know teams that will ostensibly be like you know in the top ten and hunting for a big ten title um and particularly when you're going on the road to play them, like you got to go up there, you got to be ready to score. Like, you know, an example of the Michigan game from last year. Uh, you know, they went up to Ann Arbor, and they held Michigan to I think like 20 points or something like that. Which ha- that has to be good enough. Like you got like if you're going to hold them to 20, you have to score 21. Like you can't be like, oh, the defense should have played better. But they just would have held them out of the end zone a couple more times. It's like that's like, you know, that's got to be. That's got to be good enough if if you're, you know, if you're expecting to win the game. Um, And so that's what it's going to come down to in a lot of these games is can Indiana cobble together enough points uh, to not waste a, you know, a decent defensive effort because, you know, you look at the Indiana Penn state game from last year and they did a pretty good job on Barkley outside of, uh, you know, I really think just one big run Um, and they, you know, they kind of dared McSorley to beat him down the field. And, you know, he did a few times and, uh, but they, you know, they hung with them there for a while. But it was just, it just was like you say, you know, they cover because of a fumble there at the end. Uh, but the defense did their job, and so you know, it's always going to come back. Amazingly, you know, this this night and day shift from from a couple of years ago, where it was well, we know the offense is going to score forty, but can we keep them under forty? And now it's we know they're going to only score between you know, uh, you know, two or three touchdowns. Can we match that? And so it's this brave new world of Indiana football uh, with, you know, brand new coaching staff and a lot of new faces. So whether they can do it, I don't know, but they've got to be, you know, you got to go into Penn state and you got to find a way to get in the end zone, which is a really like overly simplistic, almost like John Madden way of explaining things. But it's really that it's really that simple. Like uh, because I, I trust the defense is going to be a uh, big 10 caliber next year. And I haven't been able to say that in forever. And I almost like, You know, it was almost surprising to hear that come out of my mouth. I trust that the Indiana Hoosiers will play Big Ten caliber defense next year is a sentence that uh, would typically get you laughed out of a room. But now it's like, well, yeah, that's an interesting point.
0: Yeah, there's some some merit to that statement, which, again, it's very weird. And, like, Matt, I know it's weird to think of Indiana football as a defensive juggernaut, but, like, is that the – is that how they win this game? Is it by turning this into a rock fight? Or is it, you know, they're going to have to score and they're going to have to uh, keep up with Penn State's offense?
1: I, th- I think their goal should be to try and turn it into more of a rock fight. Uh, because we saw, we saw last year, you know, I think Indiana's defense, arguably the side of Ohio State and Michigan, played Penn State's offense the best, really, of anyone all season. And they, the offense still put up 38 points. They got the last seven that we've talked about on the, the strip and uh, score at the end. But the the challenge is going to be keeping Saquon Barkley contained like they did last year, um, like we were talking about, and somehow slowing down an offense that has weapons at literally every skill position. And you know, Tigre's skills, in my opinion, is the best linebacker in the Big Ten. Um... They've got a great safety in, or, uh, defensive back. I'm not sure if he's going to play safety or corner, but Rashard Font. Um, they've got a couple really, really good pieces that, are, that would start for virtually any team in the conference. Um, but I'm just not sure they're deep enough to slow down Saeed Blacknall and Deshaun Hamilton and Jawan Johnson and Mike Gasicki and DeAndre Tompkins and probably two or three, you know, Irvin Charles or Brandon Polk, you know, other guys that we've talked about on our side, there's just so much skill and talent outside. And the, the biggest thing that Indiana did last year, I think, to slow down not just the running attack of Barkley, but really to um, affect uh, McSorley as much as anyone did in the you know, last two-thirds or three-quarters of the season, is they were dominant on the defensive line. And we've heard a lot about the progress that Penn State's offensive lines made. Um, James Franklin was just talking about it on Tuesday at uh, media days that he, in his opinion, that could be one of the best offensive lines in the conference this year. And so I think Indiana needs to, like Kyle said, score. I think they can play a great defensive game and there's just too many weapons for Penn State to think they're going to hold them to under 30. And I think that's, that's gotta be your goal. Is we got to keep them right around thirty, and then hope that Nick Sorley or you know throws an interception or two, or Barkley turns the puts the ball on the ground, um, you know, hope that Penn State either shoots themselves in the foot or Indiana forces turnovers. Um, that's that's what they're going to have to do because, like I said a couple of times, I just don't think they have enough talent all over on defense. It's a very good defense, like we've t- we've talked about a lot. But I just don't think they've got the number of players, especially in the secondary, to keep Penn State down for 60 minutes to the point where they're going to be able to, um, you know, win a 27-24 kind of game. Um, it's going to need to be. Obviously, you want to try and do that, but I think it's going to be much more of, you know, play play, keep play the game like you did last year. Um, I've talked a lot about. Um, if this game was in Bloomington this year, it would scare the crap out of me. Um, Penn State's never played well there, for one. And two, Indiana's good. I think they're going to, you know, the Michigan State game last year, I think, was early enough in the year where we didn't really know what Michigan State was. But I they're going to get someone this year. I don't think it'll be Ohio State in that opening game. Oh, I want they, it to be Ohio State in that opening game. So bad. So bad. This this podcast would love that N- no one more than Kyle, but I think Bill and I are a close second there. You know, <laughs> one A and B maybe, but they're going to get someone in that upper echelon. I don't know the schedule well enough t- up the top of my head. I don't know if they've got a Wisconsin or Nebraska or you know one of those um, West Division teams that's you know Northwestern that on paper is better. They're going to get someone at least once or twice this year um, that they're not favored against, and they're maybe even a, you know, a 2 score plus underdog because they've got a sneaky good defense that I don't think gets talked about enough. Um, and that's really weird to say. We talked about chaos team off the top. This is like bizarro chaos team. You know, We've got all of a sudden you know, arguably one of the best defenses in the conference, and, and like Kyle said, is the offense going to do enough to, to score? It's kind of like talking about Penn State a couple years ago. So, yeah, and I, oh, go ahead. I think
2: as far, you were talking about how the you're talking about how the schedule like kind of rolls out for Indiana this year. And really, I mean, there's going to be three opportunities to get like that, that sort of like big pelt they've been seeking. Uh, and, that, you know, there's Ohio State. There's Ohio State opening night. Yeah, they've got they've got Michigan in mid-October and they've got Wisconsin the first week of November. All those games are at home. So those are kind of the three opportunities that you look at. Yeah. Um, you know,
1: this I'm coming now, too, and that Michigan game is off of that's yeah. uh, the game after Penn State. There's a bye week in there, too, yeah. and that's that Michigan's all that's we talk about it, you know, it seems like everyone Ohio State had trouble there a couple years ago. Bloomington oh, is Ohio State had
2: their hands full of IU, you know, like four out of the last five times they played. Now they've won every single time, so yeah. it's hard to remember that. But you know, I mean, even last year's game that ended up they ended up winning pretty comfortably, but I mean, IU was right there. Remember you know, that first time, you know, the third two and time,
1: two and a half, three quarters. Yeah, it was, but it's, so, and it's, yeah. you know, we're going to talk about it with Ben here coming up with Northwestern It's Bloomington's one of those places where, you know, a noon game there. Um, and I'm looking now Michigan's a noon game. That's the one I would circle as an Indiana fan and yep. personally as an admirer of all things chaos team. That's one that <laughs> it feels just looking at the way it plays out. Michigan goes to Penn state the next weekend. That that is a dangerous spot for Michigan right there. That's one yeah. I'm I'm all of a sudden very excited. That's Penn State's bye week. I might go to the game.
0: <laughs> oh, you should. I I think I've mentioned I've definitely mentioned this before, but I have been to one Penn State road game, like true Penn State road game in my life, and it was in 2013 when Penn State played Indiana and Indiana won that game because Penn State just couldn't run the ball. So I know. Firsthand, that that could be a weird place to play, and I mean, like we're saying like Indiana has they've come really close to getting that win at home. We thought they had it last year with Michigan State before it turned out that Michigan State was just god awful. But the fact that you know of their four biggest opponents, three of them are coming to Bloomington. I'm actually looking at, like, that Wisconsin game because I don't know how good Wisconsin is going to be, especially on offense this year. So with how gross that game may end up being, it could come down to which team is able to get the ball last and which team is able to, you know, kick the field goal so the 6-6 game becomes a 9-6 game at the end. Like, <laughs> one of... And I mean that, like, lovingly, but... Sure, sure, of course. It could end up being one of those games. But, yeah, I mean, Indiana's going to they're going to be surprising. I actually remember last year. uh, So I literally did not watch a single play of the Penn State-Indiana game because I was driving back from uh, the USA-Mexico match in Columbus. I get in and the only play that I saw was Torrance Brown's strip sack for a touchdown right as it looked like Indiana was. You know, they had the ball and they had a way to go, but, you know, maybe they're going to have the chance and chance to get that big win, but. That's is, is that something that's constantly like hanging over Indiana football, Kyle, the fact that they've always come so cl- – or at least lately they've come so close to getting that big win, but they haven't gotten it quite yet? You know, I,
2: I don't know if I would say that it's – I mean, it, it is to an extent. I'm sure this – you know, the answer is going to vary depending on who you ask. But for me, like kind of watching IU football the past few years and um, certainly since I've been uh, a student there, you know – a lot of the times when a really good team would come to town, we would just get flattened and that would be the end of it. And so I'm not going to, you know, you know, we, we'll joke about it when it happens, but like it's not preferable to me to just get like rutgared, uh every time a good team comes to town uh, when instead I would like to, you know, at least look like we belong on that field with them, whether we win or lose. So there just does always seem to kind of be at least as of late, and especially during the Kevin Wilson era whether Tom Allen changes that or not, you know, we're going to, we're going to find out uh, that there was always just, there was always something that would happen that would make an extremely difficult task impossible. And it would, it would almost always happen, you know, in the game, you know, it's like they would never catch a break. Like, I, I feel like IU has never caught a break in a big game. And again, I thought they, you know, we talked about the Michigan state game because in that game, they did catch a break. They were in overtime, they were lining up to kick what was going to be the game winning field goal and it got blocked, but it was, uh, it was ruled that Michigan state had left on the play. Uh, so they got to kick it again and then it nearly got blocked again, but they, they ended up putting it in and winning. So it was like, Oh, we finally got the break. They called a leaping penalty and we knocked off a top, you know, 15, 10 team, whatever Michigan state was at the time. But, um, you know, ever since then it's, it's always been something. Um, and before, you know, and before that, there's always been something that has happened, uh, Um, I'm kind of I don't know if there's like a a big moment in the Penn State game, you know, other than just like a strip sack for a fumble, which is basically like business as usual uh, compared to some of the other stuff that was going on. But I think back to when they had Nebraska on the ropes and it was fourth and one um, at midfield and Nebraska went for it on a quarterback sneak in which the snap was fumbled and yet they still managed to pick the ball up and get it across uh, despite having absolutely no push kind of like the initial push. Was wasted because the quarterback was trying to find the ball and pick it back up, and so it's just things like that where it's, um, where it's like, how can you? And then he, and then later on, what ended up being a game-winning drive against Nebraska, uh, their running back appeared to have fumbled the ball, but you know his his knee was down for a split second before the ball came out, um, and it's just things like that where it's like, can just one time, like one time, can can they get a break when they absolutely need one because? You know, if Indiana were good enough to win these games on their own, like, they would win these games on their own. But, like, when you're in Indiana's position, you have to you have to play really well, and you have to get something to go your way. And it's just, you know, that's kind of what's been eluding them, is just the, uh, the sort of uh, green light from the football gods that says, hey, <laughs> we got your back on this one. Don't worry about it. Like, we're going to work this out for you. For sure. Uh, so... So maybe Tom. I don't know if Tom Allen is a is a religious man or not, but maybe he can uh, <laughs> he can get that juju changed around for us.
0: Uh, I the mean, early
2: returns from the Foster Farms Bowl were not promising.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we're we're all rooting for you here, but we're not going to be rooting for you uh, when P- Penn State hosts Indiana on September 30th.
1: Uh, Matt, what does Penn State need to w- do to win that football game? Um. I think I kind of inadvertently hit on that. when We were talking about uh, when you asked me earlier about what I expected out of the game. Um, I think the biggest thing is take care of the ball. That's really what hurt them most last year. Um, they re- didn't have much trouble moving the ball. Indiana, you know, sold out to stop Barkley, but through the air, they really had no problem pushing the ball downfield. Like they, you know, had that, you know, for the entire last three quarters of the season. Um, so number one is, is hang on to the ball. Um, I think number two is um, don't get don't panic when it doesn't when you don't have the success. I think that's what we saw a little bit last year. Those two kind of go hand in hand, where they didn't have that that big play success right away against Indiana in Bloomington, and it led to McSorley forcing some things that just really weren't there against a solid defense, and that set up uh, the short field for Indiana you know, set them up for that big lead. So um, it's cliche. I feel like, you know, you ask someone in, in July what they need to do to win most football games is going to be take care of the ball and, and you know, don't don't panic. Don't, uh, don't force something that's not there. Um, but I think that's that's really was highlighted a year ago by how that game played out in, in Bloomington. Um, and I think the other thing that, like I said earlier, doesn't have me that worried as a Penn State fan about this game is it's at home. Um, Indiana's never really played well in happy Valley. And I know what happened 15 years ago doesn't really have any bearing today on what, ha- what, what happens now, but Indiana seems like one of those teams, like we were talking a little bit earlier when they're at home, there's totally different team. There's whether it's a comfort level or, you know, the fact that they, you're getting, you know, the Michigans and Penn States and Ohio States and Michigan States of the world away from their, their comfort zone at home. um, but they've just routinely struggled. I remember a couple of years ago, we went into, was it the homecoming game um, in 2015 when Indiana visited yeah. and all of us, you know, in you know, amongst ourselves were nervous and some about that game and really, you know, it was aided by um, uh, Sudfeld. I don't know if he didn't play or if he played briefly and left injured. He, he didn't play. Uh, there were, they were thinking he
0: might have been able to, but Xander ended up starting that day, and they had to put Cam Cameron's son in, and he just was not
2: That's good. right. Yeah, Xander got Z- hurt Z- Z- during that game. Jordan Howard missed that game as well. That's right. That's right. That's right.
1: Um, but I, th- I mean, that game ended up kind of being a laugh. It was one of the, the few occurrences in the uh, he-who-shall-not-be-named the, he who era of, of Penn State offensive coordination that everything kind of seemed to work, and the defense played its typical um, he-who-should-also-not-be-named um, era. And, and that was, that was a, a not very good Penn State team. And I think, um, you know, if Penn State's as good as everyone, ourselves included, expect them to be this year, this is not really one of those games that Penn State should really struggle in unless they, they hurt themselves with turnovers and, and special teams' mistakes and, and things of that sort that, like I said, kept Indiana in the game a year ago. Um, and kind of allowed, you know, I say kept in the game. They were leading by, I think, 10 points into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, the things that allowed Indiana to, to play as well as they didn't keep that game as close last year. Um, you just need to avoid those, those mistakes. And I think last year a lot of those were self-inflicted. Um, but it was against a good defense, and yeah. they, they, Indiana's credit took advantage of of Penn state's mistakes.
0: Twitter has ruined my mind so that when you said things of that sort, I got very disappointed that you didn't say things of that nature. So then I can re- <laughs> do the, the David Roth, Stephen A. Smith, crab rangoon tweet. If you, the listener don't know what that is, it is um, extremely <laughs> next time, good. Bill, next extremely time. good. Uh, so yeah, last question. Uh, Going to give this over to Kyle. This is something we're asking everyone who's coming onto the podcast. If you can go back, And you could change the result of one sporting event that your team lost. Which one would you pick, and why? Okay, so in keeping, I'll I'll do a, I'll do
2: an Indiana, I'll do an Indiana football one since we just spent all this time talking about it. But then I'll do the one that I would actually do uh, if I could only pick one. But I think for Indiana football, I would certainly change the outcome of the game against Ohio State uh, two years ago. That was in Bloomington. IU was. they were undefeated at the time. Yeah, they were four zero. They they beat everyone in their non-conference. Obviously, Ohio State was undefeated. Um, uh, IU played really well in that game. They lost Nate Sudwell and Jordan Howard halfway through, uh, and was basically finishing up with Xander D and Mont off to Divine Redding, and uh, still were thrown into the end zone in the last play of the game. Um, uh, that would have uh, that could have tied it up, though. Kevin Wilson revealed that had they scored the touch, they were down seven. Had they scored the touchdown, they were going to go for two in the win, as opposed to playing for overtime. And uh, also, Ricky Jones was impossibly interfered with in the end zone, and it was not called. Whatever. <laughs> um, so that Kyle, my, you seem uh, mad. Uh, <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm actually. It's actually very funny way, <laughs> um, that uh, that Ohio State got a, a favorable call again. Like going back to what I was talking about about Indiana never catching breaks. Anyway. Uh, I just think, you know, um, you know, there's not really a consequential Indiana football game. Uh at least not in the way that uh, you know, Penn State and Ohio State fans would define it. Um, obviously you guys are looking to change the outcome of Rose Bowls and college football playoffs and uh but that would have been, you know, Lord knows what what that win would have done. Maybe nothing, but I would have I would have really enjoyed myself. So that would have been up there. But the uh, one game I would certainly change the result of uh, if you give me the opportunity, would be uh, Game Five of the 2013 uh, NLDS, uh, in which the Cardinals beat the Pirates in St. Louis. Uh, I would have the Pirates win that game instead. Big Pirates fan. Uh, Pittsburgh sports generally, thanks to my dad, and uh, would uh, because I have a feeling that they would have won the uh, World Series that year, just based on how the rest of the uh, things lined up. That they could have just gotten past the goddamn Cardinals. And, uh, but they didn't because nothing good ever happens in this world and everything is pain. So,
0: uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's <laughs> a great place. <laughs> that's the perfect place to end the Indiana section of the pod. Uh, Kyle, if people <laughs> want to, uh, read your work, uh, whether it be on the internet or on social media or wherever it would be, where should they go?
2: Uh, is the website. And my Twitter handle is, uh, Kick Sully, K I C K S E W L Y. Which is a anagram of my real name because I'm still hiding my identity except when I go and spout off about it on <laughs> Penn State related podcasts. So, well,
0: which, which I'm sure is heard by millions worldwide. So, <laughs> for sure, uh, yeah, Kyle, thank you very much for coming on. And in a minute, we're gonna get Ben Gorin on the podcast to talk about Northwestern. All right, we're back. Bill DeFilippo, Matt DeBear, We just got done talking about Indiana. Now we're moving on to talk about Northwestern, a team that this game is going to have a very weird subplot in that James Franklin has never beaten Northwestern. I think he's played them something like three, maybe four times, and has never been able to get the win over them. It's also going to maybe have the battle of the two best running backs in the Big Ten, Justin Jackson, Saquon Barkley. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to be an incredibly weird and terrible one because this game kicks off at 12 o'clock, but it's in Evanston, so it's 11 o'clock locally. It's going to be an absolute mess, but it should still be fun. So to talk about Northwestern, we decided to go and get one of the many Medill grads that we know because everyone who works in this field is a Medill grad. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Gorin. Ben, what's happening?
3: Hello. Hello. It's good to be here. And um, I think I should clarify, because, like, this isn't behind the veil of Twitter, that I actually didn't graduate from Medill. Um, no, but no I,
0: you graduated from Medill. You, you went to Northwestern. So I can say and, that yeah. I went
3: to Medill. Like, you have physically been All right, that inside that of Medill. for me. Yes, I have many times.
0: All right, so I guess we'll give you credit. So there you go. I mean, I have literally <laughs> never been in Evanston, and yet I claim to be a Medill graduate. So I think it's okay if you want to... Uh, if yeah. you want to say you are just—I yeah, mean, nature, everyone does at this point. So I e- exactly, that's just, that's just how this stupid media thing works. As we were saying though, before we got into a little little bit of a tangent about Medill and some of its fantastic graduates like Darren Rovell and Mike Greenberg and Michael Wilbon and who am I forgetting?
3: Um, Christine Brennan's a big one. Oh yeah, that uh, little
0: that will go over so well with our base. Yes.
3: Yeah. Uh, Blackstone and Adande. Adonde's in a professor now, too. Oh, okay. Um, they're, they're fine. But that's it for the big ones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah,
0: All those right. are the good ones. Uh, but going into things that uh, aren't uh, Medill, the school that I went to and got a degree from, let's talk about the Northwestern football team. Last year, uh, went 6-6, six and six, lost. Uh, I mean, the big loss it had heading into the season was Anthony Walker, who was one of the best linebackers in the country. Still bring back some talent on offense. They bring back a quarterback in Clayton Thorson, who might be okay or not exactly 100% sure on that. And Again, they have Justin Jackson. Pat Fitzgerald always has good defenses. And again, this is always a really, really dangerous game for teams, especially when it's kicking off you know, 11 o'clock locally in Evanston. So Ben, what do we have to know about this year's Northwestern football team?
3: Um, so first of all, not only is it a weird 11 a.m. kickoff, it's also Northwestern's homecoming game, uh, which is at an 11 a.m. T- kickoff for homecoming, because that's apparently how we do things outside of Chicago. Isn't this also um, like
0: the weekend of the Chicago Marathon or something ridiculous like that?
3: Uh, it might be.
1: It is, yes. It is. Yeah, the marathon
3: is uh, uh, Sunday morning. Pl- well, that's perfect. If
0: you're considering going to this game, please save your money and just like do literally anything else.
3: Yes, that's probably the right thing to do. Um, but what should you know about Northwestern? Uh, it starts with Justin Jackson and Clayton Thorson. Justin Jackson, if Saquon Barkley wasn't in the Big Ten, I think he could very well be the favorite for Big Ten. Uh, and what what makes him so amazing is that Northwestern's offensive line is mediocre at best. I mean, you look at whatever advanced stat metric you want, want to look at, um, any run game stat, that group last year really was only like 50th to 60th, and they have this incredible back who is basically two games away from setting the all-time record in Northwestern for career rushing yards. He's an absolute stud. Clayton Thorson is very much a Big Ten quarterback in that he's probably mediocre, but he could be the second or best quarterback in this conference. Like, that's just what happens, especially in the Big Ten West, where it's kind of a mess. Um, But after those two guys, they're at are a lot of question marks around this team that a lot of people are pegging to be the second best team in the West. Uh, and it, it's on the defensive side that's the bigger problem. You talked about Anthony Walker leaving. Uh, Northwestern always has great linebacking core under Pat Fitzgerald. They really haven't ever had a problem uh, at that position group, which isn't surprising given Pat Fitzgerald's history. But you know the guys who are thinking about maybe coming in and taking that Mike spot haven't played basically at all and Anthony Walker covered up so many mistakes from the guys in front of him, made the job easier on the guys behind him, Uh, and how Northwestern replaces that is going to be key. And then, the one thing that no one is talking about whenever you look up Northwestern preview in Google and go whatever article you want to find is Northwestern has probably lost their two starting defensive ends from last year, too. Fadio Denebo, who's basically a third-down sack specialist, he graduated, he's gone. But then Xavier Washington, who you guys might I remember from killing Christian Hackenberg a couple years ago when uh, he was a freshman, Ben? If I can interrupt um, you
0: for a second, uh, no, we have blocked it. out every single thing that has <laughs> happened uh, between Penn State
3: and Northwestern over the last few years. Uh, yeah, continue. Well, that's convenient, but um, he was arrested for uh, felony possession, and his is suspended indefinitely. So we don't know what his status is for the season, whether he's going to play at all, whether he's really still part of the team. So Northwestern could be replacing that too, which could really put some problems for a front four that could have some issues and did have some issues last year. Uh, And then the last bullet point really is that they don't have any wide receivers. Austin Carr is gone. Um, He had more than twice as many targets as anyone else catching the football. Uh, When you start breaking down Thorson's stats during the Carr, he's an All-American and if Thorson's throwing to anyone else, he's pretty mediocre. Um, so for as good as Jackson is and for as good as Clayton Thorson can be, we don't know who he's going to be throwing the ball to. And that's that's kind of the, the big question marks when it comes to this Northwestern team that should still be at least pretty good.
0: Yeah, and actually on that note, I kind of want to uh, bring up Bill Connolly and his preview of Northwestern. The headline on that was, Northwestern is closer than you think to a Big Ten West title run. When you hear that, Ben, do you think that it's true because of what Northwestern is? Do you think that's an indictment uh, against the rest of the Big Ten West? Or do you think that, you know, that's a little bit optimistic if they want to win the Big Ten? You know, maybe it'll be next year when Thorson has uh, during his senior year after they... I mean, not after during his senior year. After they, uh, you know, develop some of the talent around him, even with Jackson gone, that kind of thing.
3: Um, it's absolutely an indictment of the Big Ten West. There's Hell no yeah. question about Hell that. Yeah. I do think that this North, yeah. I mean, obviously, you could say that almost any team in the Big Ten West is closer than you think to a Big Ten championship because the West is a pile of poo. I mean, anyone can come out of there. Um, but it, it is optimistic. Um. I think that you'd be right to peg them in probably second and third in the West. Um, but there's a big gulf between them and Wisconsin, I would think. Um, but this is the year where I think it has to happen. I I think they're going to have a real problem when Jackson leaves just because of, you know, there, there, there's nowhere for Jackson to run. I don't know how he gets as many yards as he does because there are no holes for him ever, but he finds every single one. Um, and if he has to go sideways to get through it, he'll do that too. Um, This year's team will be better than next year's team. If Pat Fitzgerald is serious about going back to Pasadena, um, this would be the year for him to win the Big Ten West. I still think that you should not make that bet. Don't go to Vegas and put any money on Northwestern coming out of the West as champs.
0: Yeah, uh, Matt, how much are you like giggling when Ben is saying, oh, he's such a good running back who just hasn't been behind a great line, and he's still putting up crazy numbers, and he's going east and west to find it, and just finding holes sometimes that aren't there, and just, like, he's Saquon, like, this is everything that we say about Saquon Barkley.
1: Well, absolutely, and I think, um, yeah, I go back to, I'm, I'm the oldest one on this podcast by far, so I'm going to go back to the early 2000s, and I think, I always think back to Maurice Claret at Ohio State on the national championship team with Tressel back in the 0-2 the season, and... When he was out that year, he missed two or three games and parts of more that year. When he went out, Ohio State's very minimalist offense struggled to do anything. But the second he got back in, they all of a sudden found their rhythm again. And that's what Jackson's like for Northwestern. That's what Barkley's like for Penn State where they're not running behind great offensive lines. They're not getting consistent running lanes to go through, but they're just so talented. Their vision is great. They're strength and speed and everything you look for athletically is there and I think that's really we all like to talk about well you put him behind you know Ohio State's offensive line or Michigan's offensive line last year Clemson pick a team and I wonder what they would do and it certainly is, is great to talk about but I think you see their greatness so much more when they are almost making something out of nothing I think they're different kinds of running backs for sure but I think there's a lot of similarities as far as how they run and and how they play the game between Jackson and Barkley.
0: All right, so let's talk about this game specifically. Uh, Ben, what does Northwestern have to do to win this football game?
3: Uh, They have to score points. I think that's pretty much whenever a team who plays Penn state has to do. Yeah. They should probably score more points than the other team. Um, So now what would happen if they didn't score more points
0: than the other team? Could they win that way?
3: (laughs) I'd be surprised. Um, The number one thing (laughs) thing that Northwestern needs to do to win any game is they need to at least be even in the battle of the trenches. Uh, Every game that they lost last year, they got punked. in those trenches, including against Illinois State, uh, where Northwestern was consistently blown off both sides of the ball against an FCS team. Um, how, how they turned around and beat Pitt in the last game of the year uh, will never make sense to me. Um, that's important to remember, the Northwestern beat Pitt. Um, but that's what it's all about. Shut up. Northwestern can keep person upright. If they can get after McSorley, they have a shot. Um, and that's, that's where it would start.
0: I completely forgot about that Illinois State game. Not from I'm not trying to like rub it in or anything like that. It's just like one, I forgot that they even lost that game. But more importantly, I forgot the final score of that was nine to seven. That is like what just real quick because why not? Like what went wrong? Like how come they lost nine to seven? What was just not working for them? Was it seriously as
3: easy as they oh, not put the trenches? Uh, that's that was a huge p- part of it. Um, so Northwestern's offensive coordinator Mick McCall has had a lot of bad years in Evanston, and about six good games, and they were all last year. Uh, um, and Northwestern's offensive scheme, in general, just didn't work. Um, they didn't have really any talent on the the edges. They never really struck on field at all. It was just everything was just bad and weird and it was probably an 11 a.m. start uh god I, I just remember getting back to watch the end of that game i think i basically saw like 90 seconds of that game and if i remember right illinois state won on a field goal that clinked in uh, it didn't it, like hit the post and I went like in it, it was, it was, it was an like awful that, yeah. awful game yeah it was just it was super weird and you know uh, we don't have to talk about that Using a Fleck the week before that, too. Um, But just in general, Northwestern was super flat for the uh, first four games of the season last year in a way that defies description or logic. Um, Like Pat Fitzgerald just stopped answering questions about that um, at a certain point of the year, you know, when they kept doing better and the questions were still, you know, what the heck went on those first two weeks of the season. And he just stopped answering it because there was really no way to explain it.
0: Yeah, I mean,. If Sam Darnold goes to Duke instead of USC, they probably win that game. That is the only game I could think of changing that would have changed if Sam Darnold went to Duke instead of USC. Uh, But because my leg is starting to shake. Uh, Matt, let's talk about what Penn State uh, needs to do to win this game. I, I mean, it seems pretty easy to me. Like, try and contain Justin Jackson and if you could do that. That seems to me like it's easy enough because I have faith even in this really weird uh, environment that's going to you know, be the 11 a.m. start that Penn State's going to be able to put up some points. So as long as Justin Jackson and Clayton Bortleson don't get cooking, I think Penn State's going to, I don't want to say comfortably, but a little, not as close as some past Penn State-Northwestern games.
1: Uh, what do you think? What does Penn State need to do? Well, I think you hit it on, on the head. It's, it's Justin Jackson is... Is the guy for Northwestern. He everything runs through him in a sense, whether he's touching the ball or not. He's he's the guy that you have your eyes on as a linebacker, as a safety. If you're in run support, every down he's on the field. Um, I've been to. I think this will be my fourth Penn State Northwestern game in Evanston. Why uh, this fall? Uh, because Chicago's great, and it's always easy to find a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I can think, that those are the best reasons to go. And plus, I live. Yeah, like not wrong. Right away now. Um, hold on, hold on.
0: Let's play. Uh, let's play the always fun game. What is the cheapest ticket that you can get on StubHub? Uh, we're gonna go with prices right rules. So, what is the cheapest ticket you can get on StubHub for this game, which features Northwestern in its Big Ten home opener, its homecoming game against the defending Big Ten champs?
1: I will say, like seven
0: dollars. Seven dollars. Okay. Seven dollars. I'll take seven dollars and one cent. It is twenty-one dollars. There are oh, three thousand two hundred eighty-nine yeah. available. But now, uh, the following week, when they travel to Maryland, you can get a g- ticket for five bucks. Uh, you can also get a ticket for five bucks for their home games against Purdue
1: and Minnesota. But yeah. But regardless, back back to your question there, tell. Bill. Um, every game I've been mm-hmm. to there has never been easy um you know the first one i went to was actually um a come from behind 2001 game it was my first i was in the the penn state blue band and i was our road trip that year and they came from behind to win i think it was 38 35 um i don't remember the second game but i do remember being on the l on the way back from evanston back into the city um and watching on my phone this is like pre-streaming video on cell phone days watching the game tracker as uh michigan state beat northwestern on that hail mary um, a f- number of years ago then i was there two years ago um in that really awful 11 o'clock start uh i think it was twenty three twenty one nope. or something like that the last second nope. Field goal. nope nope
0: nope 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 that is one of the games we are not
1: allowed to talk about on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the good news is is I I, I uh, drowned my sorrows in a number of Evanston and Chicago's finest establishments that evening. So I really don't remember a whole lot from what happened. <laughs> that game. But but the point being is Northwestern is one of those places that whether it's the eleven o'clock start or that kind of chilly weather coming in off Lake Michigan or the smaller crowd, it's just one of those weird places where when Northwestern's at home, they are always kind of hanging around whether they're in the game or not is a whole other discussion, but they're always just, you know, a player or two away. It feels like from getting back into the game if they're not. And so I think the biggest thing for Penn state is to give a fast start. That's always been one of the bigger issues. in Evanston seems to be, they aren't ready to play, whether it's an 11 o'clock start, a three o'clock start or a night kick, they'd always come out of the, the locker room a little bit slow. And on top of that, they, um, you're just they're they're kind of out of whack. So I think the biggest thing is to t- is to show up and be ready to play. Make sure you contain Justin Jackson. I have a feeling because Northwestern always seems to do this that Thorson's going to find a receiver. I don't ask me who it's going to be because I just you know I'm looking at at some of the stats from last year and it looks like Flynn Nagel is the top returning pass catcher from with 40 catches from last that year. Is such and a good name. We, I, I want oh him. to be good because he a name like that That's deserves to be good. But, oh, yeah! But I, I think it's, you know, there's there's two guys on, on the offensive side that you need to be aware of. And I think this is kind of, again, stating the obvious, but get Saquon Barkley going. Because the strength of Northwestern's defense, in my opinion, is in their secondary. And Penn State's going to be a little out of kilter, I think, early on in the year with having to replace uh, Chris Godwin. And just kind of that learning curve that's gonna, going to exist, you would think by that... I guess it's the fifth game. They're going to have that more or less figured out. Um, but I think just because of where Northwestern is susceptible, like Ben said, up on the offensive, or the defensive line, establish the running game, get Barkley going, and really don't have don't rely on the passing game like uh, we saw Penn State do quite a bit last year. So I think it's you know the, the obvious: win in the trenches and slow down Northwestern's running game while well, you get yours going.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say more than more than most games on Penn State's schedule. This is probably the one where I'd want Penn State to come out and, like, establish itself a little bit early. Just because, like, I have some doubts about whether Northwestern, if they have to throw the ball to get back into the game, they could do that. Of course, Thorson's a talented dude, so and if he finds a receiver they could possibly do that, but as of you know July twenty sixth, I have some concerns about that. And then just to settle, you know, the nerves that are going to be there for basically everyone considering everything that has happened between Penn State and Northwestern over the last few years, these just like really gross, ugly, ugly football games. Uh yeah, I, I would like it if Penn State won this game, which is something I usually uh that is usually a take that I have. But it's especially true for this one because I don't want to lose Northwestern again. Ben, before we go, before before we let you go, uh, we've been asking everyone who's coming on here a question. If you can go back and change the outcome of one sporting event that one of your favorite team teams lost, which one would it be and why? So, give us that answer, please.
3: Um. Okay. So I'll go nineteen ninety five. Northwestern football losing to. Can I hedge and say either Miami, Ohio, um, week two, or the Rose Bowl to USC? Th- those um, are, those because are if two Northwestern... so
0: different things. Oh, my God. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so if Northwestern wins that game against Miami of Ohio week two, they're undefeated when they play in the Rose Bowl, um, which would just be super cool. And they would have been maybe the top team in the country, and that would have been super dope. Uh, and on the other hand, you know they did end up losing to USC because Keyshawn Johnson was in his ninth year of eligibility at USC. Um, and Northwestern like played great, battled back, ended up losing. Um, but both of those games, I was like one year old for. Um, I don't remember it. So if it was a game that like I actually distinctly remember watching, I think it was the twenty eleven Outback Bowl. It might have been twenty ten against Auburn. Um, when Northwestern lost on a fake field goal end-around to their slowest wide receiver uh, in overtime, going for two. Um, and they lost a game that they really should have won, and it was a great game, and I'm still not emotionally over that one. So instead of giving you one answer, I gave you three, because apparently that's all I can do.
0: No, no, that's totally fine. We uh, we have no standards on this podcast. Uh, ah, but yeah.
3: Well, <laughs> well, that explains why I'm on, so... <laughs>
0: Ben, if someone wants to read your writing or read the takes that you have on the internet, where can they go to find that?
3: Midmajormadness.com. It's a basketball blog, so you probably won't see anything about Northwestern football on there. But if you want the Northwestern stuff, go to InsideNU. I don't write there very much anymore, but it's uh, one of the best Northwestern blogs out there. So definitely check that out, too.
0: For sure. R.I.P. Zippin' on Purple.
3: yeah. Got, yeah, gotta give, a gotta give
0: Sippin' on Purple some shine just because that was uh, on the list of SB Nation team sites there are a few that had a better name than Sippin' on Purple so shout out to them shout out to Bet and for shout sure. out to all of you for listening to this edition of the podcast as always uh, follow us on all of our social media channels Facebook, Twitter, all that keep reading the site, keep buying our shirts they are very soft and comfortable and we got a few that are listed for a few discounted prices so make sure you get your hands on those uh subscribe to all the various channels that we have this stupid podcast on and yeah keep listening keep supporting the site always appreciate that and we appreciate you listening to this edition of the podcast ben thank you for coming on anytime and matt keep being matt i guess for matt DeBear, for i'm bill de filippo take care y'all